Welcome to the Eagle and Child podcast, where we share the stories and thoughts of church history's heroes to inspire and equip the church of today. I'm your host, Leila Nahavandi, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Child podcast. We are so excited that you've joined us today and I can't wait to introduce to you my next guest. His name is Joshua Nadeau. He is from Canada. He lives there with his beautiful wife, Aislinn. He actually runs Sword and Pencil, a design company that is involved in the creation of the Eagle and Child podcast. So it's practically his fault that we're around. He's my co-conspirator, Josh, but is absolutely talented. He's also got a brilliant brain for theology. He's got his master's in theology um, and also runs his own online theology training course subscription thing that you can check out called Amargo Theology, which is just incredible. Josh, you are amazing. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you. It's my pleasure. I'm uh, a little embarrassed at those kind words. Um, Yeah, it's like a classic. I feel like it's a classic Canadian thing to just be a little bit <laughs> bashful hesitant yeah yeah bashful like a little it hesitant is. to hear kind things about yourself totally totally and I'm liking the the mustache is that a Canadian thing or is that just yeah. a Josh thing no nope, this is just a fresh thing this is um <laughs> I actually forgot I had it until today and I was like should I shave it to look a little bit more respectable for the podcast and I was like nah. no mustaches it's, are top tier it's essential Absolutely. It's an an essential for the recording. I love it. Well, today, Josh, we're looking at Fyodor Dostoyevsky. I knew I was going to sum that one up. Um, Just an incredible man um, known in both secular and and church circles for his incredible writing. Can you give us a little bit of a, a background to who this guy is? How was he sort of spiritually formed? What was his bio and where did he come from? Totally. Um, yeah, so Dostoevsky's history is like, I mean, his, his bio is, a, is super intense. So he was born in the 1820s, 1821, just outside Moscow, uh, like 100 kilometers outside of Moscow. His dad was a doctor. Um, and the only reason I mention it is because, so his dad used to run a hospital that existed for the exceptionally poor. So there'd be like, so this is like the 1820s at Tsarist Russia, serfdom. So like mm. all the city centers are super loaded, wow. like aristocracy. People can go to the hospitals and spend their money. But in the outskirts of town, people are super poor and can't afford health care and stuff. Mm. Um, so that was super cool. But before that, um, Dostoevsky's entire lineage, like all of his his dad, his great grand, his grandfather, whatever, all the way down the line were Russian Orthodox priests. Wow. So he grew up, yeah. So he like for like 200 years, apparently. No. That's yeah, insane. for real. It was just like the family trade, just priesting <laughs> it up. So um he got introduced to literature at like a young age from his nanny, who would read him fairy tales and sagas. And he was just hooked. And he learned to read and write by reading the Bible um which is wild so he got shipped off i mean like his early formative years he got shipped were 
where to start? Like his early formative years were in these hospitals in really impoverished conditions. And so he saw all sorts of like totally insane human experiences that have like shaped his view of human nature and the world around him and the need that people have uh, for something bigger than themselves. And those ideas find their way into his writings, but that's like way down the road. So he goes, he gets sent away to school, uh, like to a boarding school, and he didn't really fit in. Um, He was like a pale, thin dude who was like, (laughs) described as like a dreamer and like stubborn and um I think like overly romantic so he's like a classic little goth kid and he didn't really fit yeah right that's yeah he's got his fringe going down here covering half his face got his emo cut (laughs) yeah doesn't fit in um especially because of where he came from like there's all that class Mm. hierarchy stuff and so all the aristocracy are a little bit like look down the nose at him and in that first year of him going away, first or second year, his dad died. Wow. Um, of, I mean, this is like a bit of the part of the shroud of mystery around Dostoevsky's life is like his dad either died of a heart condition, but a ton of people came forward saying his dad was murdered by his yeah. serfs. So even though, yeah, even though he was like a good guy, like running that hospital, he was a jerk mm. to his the <laughs> serfs that right and so there's potentially a conspiracy Mm, for them to murder their dad and or their his dad and then they could take over the land etc um after that Dostoevsky moved from Moscow where he was going to school in a St. Petersburg to get military training another Mm. thing he didn't super dig it was all like math (laughs) science military strategy stuff and he's like an artsy dude doesn't suit the emo kid (laughs) Totally right. He's like frail and weak, (laughs) and now it's just like military training. Um, But there was like this thing that popped up, like as I was preparing for this, I was studying like, okay, what was that? What was school like for him? And a bunch of his teachers went on record to be like, yes, of course, like he was frail of disposition, whatever. But he also used to stand up for the outsiders and newcomers would call out all sorts of like corruption at the school. So there's this little seed bed that you can kind of see flourish down the road. Um, Yeah. And then from there, this is where things start taking a turn for him. So after he graduates, he becomes a military engineer. During that time, he's about like 21. He publishes his first novel. So he graduates, starts living a pretty decadent life. Um. And he had developed seizures at this time. People think it was because of the death of his dad. So he would have Mm -hmm. seizures and he started gambling a ton. And so like, he's got this really like, right. How does that connect? (laughs) He has seizures. So he starts gambling. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone who has seizures gambles. I I thought that was like a a priori knowledge. Yeah. Yeah, So he then's like, oh, I'm, I'm going to start doing what I love. I'll start writing books to make ends meet, to support my decadent lifestyle and my gambling. Uh, and the first book he wrote was a book called Poor Folk, which is just like a handful of letters, obviously informed by his childhood and what living in Tsarist Russia in the 1820s and 30s wow. looked like. Um, and 
this is like a turning point in like the literary world. So there's a like a pretty famous Russian literary critic called Belinsky. And he gets a hold of poor folk, Dostoevsky's novel. And he's like, do you know what you've done? Like you've changed. This is different. This is not like anything we've read before. So in those yeah. days, what people would do was like, you would have people do a kind of social commentary, but it'd be situational life and times kind of stuff. It often ended up being comedy but Dostoevsky started doing like psychological stuff, looking at human nature. Mm. How do people live and act and think and move in these kinds of situations? We kind of take that stuff for granted. You know what I mean? Like every yes. book and every movie that we watch and show, we get obsessed with. Like we're watching House of Cards, my wife and I. Yeah. And it's just all subtle character development, right? Yeah, well. Back then, it just wasn't a huge thing. Um, wow. And so because of that book, he gets connected with a, like a socialist utopian guild. Um, two of them. So one leads to the other. He gets in with like the Bedekov circle. They're just like small time socialist utopians. And so like that time in Russia, you've got, it's like Tsarist. So kind of aristocracy, pretty tyrannical serfdom essentially. So like it's a feudal workforce. So people are just worked to the bone. And so like the kind of natural overcorrection is like a socialist utopia where it's like people don't have to work like this. We can organize society in such a way that everybody flourishes. Um, And that led him to be involved in another kind of socialist utopian circle called like the Petra. It's really hard to say all those Russian names. No, absolutely. Petra Shevsky circle or whatever. (laughs) And uh, yeah, like those guys were just all about introducing people to like the western canon essentially just other thoughts Mm. other ideas they were about reform and if you are like a czar in that time reform sounds a lot like revolt and revolution Mm -hmm. and so it was at that time the czar sent the secret police after Dostoevsky and his buddies in that circle and they got arrested they got sent to jail for four months where they did this like intense investigation and they concluded at the end of four months that they were participating in disseminating a bunch of banned material which is crazy right like this is the like i mean we're having whatever so just a wild thing so (laughs) the judgment that they gave was these people were to die by firing squad crazy so they got lined up two days before christmas um he's like 20 I think he's 24 or 28 at this time. Mm. Two days before Christmas, they get lined up. I think there's eight to 10 of them um, for death by firing squad. And he kind of recounts some of what happens in his book, The Idiot, where he's like calculating what, how much time is going to take for them to get to his spot in line. And he concludes it's like four minutes till they shoot me. And he's like, I'll spend two minutes thinking about my friends and then two minutes thinking about the cruelty of life and my own life. And then like it's it's lights out. Um, and. Like miraculously, an, a message comes in from like a letter comes in from a messenger calling off the firing squad and historians are like, this is either happenstance 
But there also seems to be ideas that this entire thing was set up as kind of like a psychological torture. Because Dostoevsky was having like a, a huge amount of influence towards a kind of social reform. Wow. You hear that Lamborghini? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, towards a kind of social reform. And so if you do like a kind of psychological torture that brings someone to the edge, mm. maybe you shatter them. And so they sent him away to work in a Siberian prison camp for four years. Mm. The journey there was like 14 days and the people he was with wanted to commit suicide because they knew what was going on. And he was apparently like a little light in the darkness, like giving people hope, telling them that life is better than giving up, which is just insane. And when he showed up at the prison camp, they were like, this is a dangerous criminal. So he has to work harder than everyone else. He's shackled in by himself. And because he was so sickly, he spent a lot of time in like the med bay or whatever, where he just read his New Testament and a bunch of Charles Dickens books. Wow. And he that was his life for four years. Um, then after that, he was sentenced to six years of like indentured military service. And wow. then he begins his writing. <laughs> crazy. Right? That's crazy. It's insane. Do, do you see any of that... Um that Christian influence. I know you were saying he's got the Charles Dickens books and the New Te- New Testament. Does that come out when he's sort of talking to the others or is that something that's sort of yeah. just in the background? So I think, uh, I think all of the stuff, so like Dostoevsky is different, say, than like other saints and classical theologians. So like being a sort of artist and writer, um he was like a deeply conflicted man. So like, we'll chat about some of his books and the themes Mm. in those books, but he's not like your classic, here's the saint to emulate. He was addicted to gambling. He had three marriages. Um, And then he has this deep conviction of like the love of God and beauty will save the world. And so like, I I get the inclination reading these kinds of historical, Mm. historical accounts that the hope that he brings is probably coming from that deep Russian Orthodox belief that he has. And when he writes about it in The Idiot, that's the third book that he wrote. He wrote five, like five, I'm holding up five on two hands. (laughs) He wrote um, like five major works. And so when he recounts this in The Idiot, one of the things that comes out, which we'll get into, is just what it means to be a good soul and embody Christian truth in a cruel and lost world. So, like, I mean, you can kind of piece together that it's his Christianity that informs this, like, even when he was younger, standing up for the outcast, befriending newcomers, standing against corruption, not giving up. Like, I mean, to be fair, I am not pale, I'm not frail, not overly romantic. <laughs> Like I, but I would not endure a Russian labor camp. Right. So there's some kind of like power that Mm -hmm. he has. And then all of this Mm -hmm. stuff informs how he communicates through his Mm -hmm. great works of literature. Wow. Yeah. So it's wild. Awesome. Josh, thank you for explaining that. Um, yeah, maybe yeah. We, will, we will dive right into the works that totally. you're talking about. I know you were saying there's like five big works that, you know, he's really, yep. really well known for. Can you sort of flesh them out for us? Totally. So um, we can just go through one by one. Please yeah. ask tons of questions along the way. So yeah. he comes out 
And he writes like a kind of memoir called like Notes from the Dead. And it was just, it's kind of where people have picked up all this thought about what his life was like in prison. But his first great work is called Notes from the Underground. Um, And it tells the story of a retired civil servant who's super jaded with the world around him. Um, And so like he's critiquing, at this point, he's critiquing like a political ideological movement that had crept into Russia by this time, Mm -hmm. which is a kind of social progressivism where like if we just make society a utopia, so he seems to be pushing against his earlier beliefs. Yeah. If we just make society a kind of utopia, everything will be okay. And so this character, um, it's kind of set up in like these little vignettes. Like he goes to, out to a party with a bunch of his old civil service friends and he gets drunk and just starts poking holes in all of their ideas and beliefs. Um, and he himself is a very like deeply tormented person. And the main idea in the book is just to say something like, um, even if you made the world a perfect place, you could remove all suffering, all sorts of obstacles. He just says mankind. One of the quotes from the book is mankind has a deep fascination with suffering yes. and that we will work suffering in and of ourselves and that mm. these social progressive utopian ideas don't take into account the darkness and reality of human nature. That's so true. Yeah. So uh, that book for me, like, I remember reading it when I was doing, I was a bike courier when I read that (laughs) book. It's just a small little novel. Like you could read it in like a day um, if you're a kind of fast reader. And I would read it for like 15 or 20 minutes. And it kind of exposes this reality of like, life is always going to be suffering. So even if you remove everything, if you can remove all sorts of, this is like a deeply Christian idea anyways. If you remove all sorts of obstacles, you still have yourself. Mm-hmm. And we often work our own self-destruction, mm-hmm. but often if things are too perfect, we just like, yeah, we would destroy it, right? We would just, yeah. we would want to destroy it. Yeah. You still find an emptiness in it, in anything. <laughs> totally. Mm-hmm. And so he, like, they talk about where, um, I mean, you can insert, I mean, this is our, this is the context that we find ourselves in right now, this debate Mm. between what kind of social world can we develop and what Mm. kind of benefit will that have on society? And so like, Mm. I mean, look at all the super rich, bougie people. (laughs) And now like their greatest enemies are like boredom. And so what do they do with their boredom? They cheat on their spouses. They beat their kids. They like Mm. indulge in alcohol because life can't Mm. be, we don't have a great war right we just have like this internal war and so his big that and that book just like made waves people were like what is going on and so yeah yeah so that's his first big book mm-hmm. i feel like i'm talking awesome. too much no this is brilliant i, okay, I don't okay. really know anything about dostoevsky so yeah i'm i'm learning so much thank you okay no that's cool so <laughs> i mean like that's why i kind of chose him i figured i mean <laughs> I know a bit about who's on the roster. You have an amazing lineup already and amazing stuff coming. I figured going the art and literary perspective mm. would just add a, like, a different twist. Mm. Um, Definitely suits you as well as the artist. Yeah, right? I just, yeah, I have that you to. Are. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Um, so his next big book, so like Dostoevsky's contemporaries at this time are like Nietzsche and Tolstoy mm. and Freud 
down the road, but Freud read tons of his books. And these guys, wow. like, they just loved Dostoevsky. Wow. So he writes, the next major book he writes is called Crime and Punishment, mm -hmm. which is like a detective book. Um, I guess it, I guess I should say, so like when Dostoevsky writes a book, it's, it's under the guise of a narrative, but it's a philosophical treatise the entire time. Wow. And so his characters normally embody an ideology. Mm. And what he does is he makes the, the biggest opponent to what he believes to be good and true and beautiful, the most compelling, admirable, intelligent character in his book. And so what you, I mean, which is something we can all learn, right? We often, mm. when we come up against our enemies, we straw man them. Yeah, demonize them. Like, yeah, we yeah. demonize And Dostoevsky venerates them. He turns them yeah. into saints. We like, and then he's like, if I can't beat the best, then what? Mm. what's the point? And so Crime and Punishment mm. is a book about a super poor law student called Raskolnikov. And he is like a materialist and a rationalist. So his, those are big ideas culminating in Russia at that time. Yeah. And so his big idea is like, life is rational. There is no God. This is mm -hmm. where Nietzsche and him, like that's kind of the Nietzsche's idea of like the Ubermensch or whatever, the Superman who needs mm -hmm. no God, God is dead. Yeah. And so an indictment, I guess, Nietzsche has on the world. And he just says, man has to take that place. And so Raskolnikov becomes that embodied person. He's super yeah. smart. He's attractive. Um, and, but he's super poor and he can't afford to go to law school and his family is super poor. And so his sister is toying with the idea of marrying like a tyrant <laughs> who is essentially flaunting his money to take advantage of her maritally and then someone proposes this idea to Raskolnikov, the main character, this law student, saying there's a pawnbroker down the street, this evil old lady who extorts poor people. She's loaded. If she was just gone, you could take that money and do all sorts of good with it. And so Raskolnikov is like a materialist and as an ex existentialist, this is like the first couple chapters so I'm not spoiling anything. And the books are kind of written to be like, it's a it's a detective book, but you read know who multiple them. Times. And you just yeah, like all Dostoevsky's yeah. books are supposed to be read a bunch. Yeah. And so the big idea is just like um Raskolnikov gets to the point where he his rationalism and materialism starts bringing him into a place where he believes he's transcending. Mm -hmm morality it's so he has wow. this utilitarian idea that if i i could be a napoleon i could mm -hmm. forget about what's good and ethical and moral and i mm -hmm. could do something that's good for my family for the people i could go i could finally put all of my education and good looks and charm to use by going to law school and protecting these poor and impoverished people so he sneaks into the old lady's house he kills her um and he kills someone else who like stumbles in. Mm. And then the rest of the novel is just this unfolding of like the psychological trauma mm. that happens to a person who forsakes what is good and moral mm. and ethical and believes that they are above that for the sake of others. And so mm. 
I mean, it's an insane ride because the exposure is something like how we as humans believe, like we all kind of think the same thing, right? Like there's that first off that there's an arrogance in many people of being better than another person. And if only we had this, we could do what's Mm -hmm. right. And even though most of us, God willing, all of us won't go and kill somebody Mm. about how often we hate people, we malign Mm. people, we let our jealousy and envy destroy people. Mm. Um, And so again, this one is one of those things where um, Dostoevsky is drawing attention to all, he, like one of the powerful ideas, I guess, in his book is going to jail, being punished for your crimes is one thing but the punishment and torture of confessing to your own evil is much much worse so living in a a state of unrepentance is a hell in and of itself Mm. um right yeah i get goosebumps a little every time i say that kind of stuff say it louder like that's one of the most christian things i've ever heard yeah and it's not like a phrase in a textbook it's like this is a real living person who you sometimes resonate with, sometimes identify with. And so like to watch that kind of what happens to a person if they are unrepentant embodied kind of sobers you up to how important it is to live after the good. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And I think even that first idea of, you know, I'm above morality and stuff, it goes back to the garden where, where they, took it into their own hands to define what's right and wrong, you know? Um, totally. That, that narcissism. Yeah. Yeah. And I was listening to a lecture the other day that was just saying like the sin of the, exactly what you said, the sin of the garden is narcissism mm. and redemption. Like the redemption of Jesus is deny yourself and wow. follow me. And they're just in stark contrast. Right. And so like exactly. Dostoevsky takes that and just brings it to these extremes and often like literature has, um, I mean, I, I spend most, I was just reading before this, like some philosophy and I love philosophy, but like, but you, when you read a book, it, it, it lays you open in a different way than yeah. like lectures and theological books. And so there's this, mm. I remember reading it. There'd be moments where I just be like, Hey, this is too much. This is one of Dostoevsky's actually the fourth one demons. There's a chapter that was apparently so psychologically deep and robust and exposing of human nature that his publishers made him take it out. And it only got added in posthumously, like after he died in an appendix. Wow. Right. So have you read that chapter? No, I haven't. I haven't read it. That's the only book I haven't read. And I've known this for ages. And I'm like, this seems like the best idea of something to read. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Get Um, back to us on that one. (laughs) Yeah. And that, yeah. So at this time, Nietzsche was saying stuff like, um, he just felt like he had nothing to learn from kinds of people like Dostoevsky. Dostoevsky is like a Mm. forerunner for existentialism and Nietzsche had no, uh, he didn't want to spend any time contemplating psychological stuff, but he was like, Dostoevsky is just something different. Anyway. So uh, his third book is called the idiot. This is the one that we kind of touched on. Yeah. So this book is about a guy named Prince Mishkin. 
who is um he suffers from seizures just like Dostoevsky did and he's away and like the same time I actually I don't know but (laughs) Dostoevsky did write a book called The Gambler no (laughs) yeah and it's just like straight up about addiction and you people read it I've read it and well excerpts of it and it's just like Mm -hmm. oh this is the human mind on addiction the little lies the little justifications so Prince Mishkin's away at like a an, an asylum, like a sanatorium or whatever. And when he comes, he goes away because this because uh, of the firing squad thing. So that's the story that leads up to him being in the sanatorium. And while he's on the firing squad um, and they don't shoot him, he has this thought that like life is precious. Life is beautiful. I will not waste a minute. I will not waste a moment. I won't waste a sentence. I won't waste a relationship. I will always do my best to enjoy the beauty and the gift of what life is. And so when Mishkin comes back to Russia, um, he is open and joyful and vulnerable and like kind hearted. And he's a super intelligent guy, but everyone kind of looks at this like childlike way of life and sees him as an idiot. Because like nobody, nobody lives like that, right? Like he's running through the streets singing and dancing and he's petting dogs and talking to kids and like doing all the stuff that someone who would be overcome by, hey, I was at the precipice of death. I looked the abyss in the face and I'm redeemed. And now I recognize how much of a gift life is. Um, And so the big idea in that book, like I mentioned before, is just what does it look like? What does it feel like when someone is a good soul trying to live out a Christian truth Mm -hmm. in a cruel and dark and broken world that we will always look stupid? We will look like idiots Mm. because just the value systems are starkly Mm. different. Yeah. Foolishness to the world, hey? Totally. Mm. And so... The bit like he his famous line in that book is just beauty will save the world, which is like a near and dear thing to my heart. Just the idea of probably the way to wake people up out of that darkness and stupor is introducing them to a more beautiful way of life. Wow. Um, and I think that there's something even though so that book wasn't received super well. He was going through a really tough time. He had like a ton of epileptic seizures at that time. And he was under a really tight time frame. And so he's like, I don't stand behind the novel as a novel, but the ideas behind it are still very true. Um, Yeah. So that's a, that book's a banger. And then the fourth (laughs) one is Demons, which I haven't read. Um, But that's the one with like the secret chapter. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Like it's just, I don't, I don't actually know too much about it, but it does mm. sound crazy. It should be the next book I read. Mm. I would have read it in preparation for this, but like his books are like a thousand pages long. <laughs> yeah, we'd be doing the episode next year. <laughs> yeah, next year, 20, 2024 after I yeah. recovered. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and then his last big book is like my favorite book. I actually have it up on the shelf right there. It's my favorite wow. book, um, Brothers Karamazov, mm. which is like a murder mystery. Oh, wow. So um, the book kind of focuses on this, the dad 
who's called Fyodor, and his three sons, Ivan, Dmitri, and Alyosha. Um, and in the span of the book, Dmitri gets killed, and they're trying to figure out who did it and why. But the main idea behind the book is something, this is like the key thing, like I was telling you about, where Dostoevsky makes the, the most, the strongest opponents to his worldview, the most compelling people. And so Ivan in the book is a rationalist, doesn't believe in God. Um, and there's like a, a couple moments in the book where, so Ivan's a rationalist, Dimitri's a hedonist. He just lives for all of his pleasure. And Alyosha is a monk. So he's just totally committed to being a good Christian. Um, and Alyosha is not a smart person. So th there's no like intellectual response. So Ivan and Alyosha meet up one day for coffee coffee or tea or whatever <laughs> and they're talking about the death of their dad and Alyosha's trying to kind of comfort him a little bit because of God and his mercy and Ivan's like well I can't believe in a God and Dostoevsky puts forward the strongest argument against the idea of a good God which is human suffering and it's at this point a ton of the horrible experiences that Dostoevsky had as a kid find their space in his novels so like wow. there are kids who are abused by the like uh, abused by their parents there are kids who in Russia at this time where people are super poor um parents just put their kids out in sh sheds in the middle of the winter so they froze to death so they no. didn't have to feed them yeah and so Ivan's telling all of this stuff wow. saying like if there was a god that created this like suffering is like, what do you mean? Suffering's part of the, I can't buy that. Yeah. And so Ivan, the most famous part of that book is this section called the Grand Inquisitor, <laughs> which is like a kind of haunting dream where Jesus comes back to earth <laughs> and is walking around, talking to people, loving them, smiling at them. And this person, the Grand Inquisitor, who is like a kind of religious leader, so a Pope-ish figure, finds Jesus and puts him in prison and after an extended period of time goes to visit Jesus in this dark prison and so this the Grand Inquisitor shows up at the prison and he stares into the face of Jesus and after a moment of silence he just starts railing into him and the Grand Inquisitor is not kind of set up as like some demon or some monster mm -hmm. he's just saying stuff like you have given people the burden of free will. You have put us in a world that has a great capacity for evil. And me, as this religious leader, I've set up structures to prevent people from being as evil as they could be. So he's introducing a kind of like altruistic tyranny in a religious sense. If you just obey these rules. And it's like, so we're taking care of poor people. We are... Um, stopping people from putting their kids in the in sheds and freezing them to yeah. death. Exactly. All sorts of stuff. Mm -hmm. And so this grand inquisitor eventually gets to the part point and is rationalizing of what he's trying to do from a religious standpoint to say, we have to kill you again. Because if you're around here, loving people, telling them that they're free, inviting them into your way of life, it's too dangerous People could abuse it. People could take advantage of it. And Jesus, this whole time, doesn't respond. 
so the Grand Inquisitor finishes what he's saying, and then Jesus looks at him, and after a bit of stark divine silence, kisses him on the forehead, and it's over. Wow. And so at that point, Alyosha has no answer to the suffering that Ivan is kind of talking about. But as the novel progresses, that's all Alyosha tries to embody is just, well, I don't have an answer to suffering, but I can just go and love my neighbor. Mm. And Dostoevsky's idea is there is no good philosophical answer to the idea of human suffering, except for real embodied Christ-like love. And that love will save the world. And so like, Mm. is it crazy? Anyway, so there is a murder mystery like wrapped up in that, but it's mostly like a philosophical treatise on life and free will and goodness and evil. And then he died shortly after writing it. So, yeah, he died at like 59 years old. Totally. And I mean, it's those are some good last words, man. (laughs) Um, Do you know how he died? Uh, Just because he was sickly. Like he's like he just died. I yeah. I think from what he I got remember. Got an ingrown toenail and died. Yeah, totally. Just be like, oh, that was it. Immunity yeah. so low. Yeah. He stubbed his toe and died. The worst. <laughs> no, awesome. Oh, that's incredible. That's going to take me a while to sort of mull over all those ideas. They're so totally. deep and philosophical. But um, how would you apply um, maybe his life, his work, his ideas, how do you think that they really speak to Christians today and to our world today? I know there's like a lot of apologetics in, in, in what you've said already, but yeah, how do you totally. particularly see that he speaks to us today? Um, I mean, they're like, so there's fundamental things that I think are key, which is we live in a time when like dunking on people and owning people like mic dropping on people is just like the best thing that you can do. Like it gets you your likes, it gets you your follows, but I think just learning like a bit of like courtesy and love from Dostoevsky is key where you give people the benefit of the doubt. You take their best arguments and you interact with those you kind of be a little bit honest with what you know and what you don't know. So that's one Mm. thing, like look at our current moment. Yeah. Where like social media just caters to controversy and all sorts of mm. stuff um, and belittling. And so I think there's, that's key. Um, I mean, the big stuff for me was just the idea of, so in Notes from the Underground, for example, the idea of human suffering is pretty key. Mm-hmm. And Dostoevsky talks about that the mystery of human existence lies not in just surviving but to find something worth Mm. living for yeah wow so he just has this idea that life is suffering and it's not just about surviving through suffering it's about finding something that transcends your suffering because Mm. even if your life was made perfect his idea is that we would wreak enough havoc in our own life that we would Mm. self-destruct and so if you find something bigger than yourself to Mm. live for you just you mitigate that kind of craziness Mm. you know and then his other big thing is just like beauty will save the world and love Mm. real love there's just no answer there's no argument against real christian love beautiful yeah so do i that's awesome 
Um, Josh, yeah, can I've, you tell us? Oh, sorry. Yeah. What, what were you going to say? I just say I feel bad like for ranting so much. No. Oh, this is brilliant. It, and so okay, deep cool. as well. Yeah. Um, I love how, <laughs> how he, yeah, his depth, but also the beauty in that depth is, is sort of coming through. So that's really cool. Totally. Um, can you share a little bit um, uh, some of his quotes and some of the favorite quotes that you have? Um, or yeah, some totally. Some of his famous quotes that, you know, are, are most well-known. Yep. So um, there is the one, like the the mystery of human existence lies not in just surviving, but finding something worth living for. That's a key. One of my favorite ones, I have to read it because it's a little bit long. Yeah, go for it. Is, so in the Brothers Karamazov, um, there's like a priest who some of the characters go to visit to talk about some of the stuff that's going on. Like I won't spoil the entire plot of the novel. And so this priest, Father Zosima starts talking about how love needs to govern the Christian's life, all of humanity's life. And he says this, Father Zosima says, I'm sorry, I can't, I can say nothing more to console you for love in action is a harsh and dreadful thing compared with love in dreams. Love in dreams is greedy for immediate action, rapidly performed and in the sight of all men. Men will even give their lives if only the ordeal does not last long, but is soon over with everybody looking on and applauding as though someone is on a stage. But active love is a labor and a for some people, perhaps a complete way of life. Wow. And so his big idea is just that like loving at a distance when there's all the accolades and the padding I mean like mm. just think of social media we just when everyone yeah. can see you standing up for 100%. these disenfranchised people and you just get like oh of course I'll give my life for this cause as long as everybody's watching and I get yeah, the standing well. ovation mm-hmm. but Dostoevsky says life in action real love is a harsh and dreadful thing and no one will see you no one will applaud you. No one is going to congratulate you. And it will probably cost your entire life to love people well. Yeah. Just a champion. So that's one of my favorites. I've got a couple other ones. Like, I'm not yeah. sure. Um, so this is a, a another really good one. He says, above all, don't lie to yourself. The man who lies to himself and listens to his own lie comes to a point that he cannot distinguish the truth within him or around him and so loses all respect for himself and for others and having no respect he ceases to love wow that's powerful yeah and so like i mean i think that one kind of res i don't know how you feel about this i kind of buy into like the classic catholic idea of like the ascent into heaven and the descent into hell Mm -hmm. i like those little lies we tell ourselves on make us Mm. like they make us less Mm. human and when we start believing those lies you know what i mean like so Mm. a weakness of mine is whiskey so when i am going through a bad season in my life i tend to drink as like a escape and numb or whatever Mm. um and there are little lies we can tell ourselves, right? We can just be like, it's not that bad. I'm not totally drunk. I'm not addicted. I'm not this. And if we start believing those lies, Dostoevsky's big idea is we eventually get to a place where we don't love. And one is one of his other ideas is that true hell 
is existing in a place where you cannot give or receive love. And so just that idea of like, if we live those lies, we cease to be in a place of love. That guy just gets it, man. Mm. Yeah, it's so true. It's almost like you become a projection of your of yourself. You're living in this totally holog- holographic <laughs> life that's not real. Yeah. Reality. Yeah. Totally. Wow, th- that's powerful. And again, a lot to think about. I think because I haven't really engaged. I've I've like heard a little little of his quotes, read like one or two books, but I haven't really engaged a lot with Dostoevsky. So just hearing this him as a writer in his completeness that you're presenting right now um totally yeah it's it's a it's really powerful and it's a lot to sort of to process what strikes you about it like I'm I'm always fascinated because not a lot of people read I mean there's something about Russian authors like there's just so many famous Russian authors yeah um but not a lot of people read them yeah I don't know why I have never engaged. I think because, like, I've been so into the church history, like early church fathers, patristics, all that sort of stuff. He's sort of on the periphery of that, I think. Totally. Um, um, yeah, I, I just had never engaged and, and never thought to engage with him, you know. I think. Yeah. Yeah, because, yeah, not quite sure what, why. What so, made you get into him? Like, why did you first um, dive in? So- so that's a good question. One of my, I'm a big reader. Like I got super into like classical literature at a young age. And yeah. so one of my favorite authors, Kurt Vonnegut, I don't know if you know who he is. He wrote Slaughterhouse-Five. Okay. He had a really good mustache actually. Really? Um, <laughs> yeah. He going said that. Kurt Vonnegut, I don't even know. Yeah, I'm going for, no, I'm yeah. going for the Tom Selleck. Yeah. But I don't think Tom Selleck is just too handsome to he's even. He's a very good looking man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a very good looking man. Um, so Kurt Vonnegut just said that Brothers Karamazov just has everything you need to know about life in it. And so I read that quote and I was like, well, I can't. This is one of my favorite authors. I can't not read that book. And then I just went and read it and was like, what is wow. this book? And yeah. it's like, it's a bit of a. I mean, it's like 800 pages. It's a bit of a slog to get through because there's like one of the other weird things about Russian literature is just everybody goes by like a bajillion different names. So like every character is like 10 really long Russian (laughs) names. And I'm like, who are we talking about? But if you can muscle your way through, like the book is just, yeah. Yeah, so hopefully... It's enticing enough for people to pick up. Notes from the underground is the easiest one to get into, I think. Short, good. Good place to start. That's a good place to start. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, Josh, we usually finish up with uh, a bit of a fun fact or fun story. I don't know if he had any fun in his life. It doesn't doesn't sound (laughs) like it. But did did you come across any interesting sort of facts about him as you were as you're studying him? I'm trying to think. I mean, yeah, like I don't know. It's almost a sad thing to say. I don't know how much fun his life was. <laughs> dude, like, like familiar with sorrow and acquainted mm. with grief, right? Like, yeah. wow. uh, I honestly don't know. 
<laughs> which is uh, just a really like I'm trying to think of something quirky like mm-hmm. I didn't his upbringing but I can't other than I think he had a nickname when he went away to school but I don't remember and it's mm-hmm. like kind of I don't even know if yeah that was it's not a funny nickname it's just like because he stood up for the little guy they just kind of named him after some old saint okay but I don't think that there's any like quirk I mean other than just the insane whirlwind that is his life yeah like his dad potentially being murdered going away to Russian prison camps the dude just lived a wild life but if there's anything funny or quirky and like I sadly I don't you miss we've missed it yeah 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 (laughs) Yeah. yeah, we've been yeah it is lost in the annals of time yeah Yeah. oh Thank you so much, Josh. That was absolutely brilliant. Totally. Such a great introduction to Dostoevsky. Definitely one yeah. to get into. Um, is there anything else that you want to share about him before we go? Um, I can't really think of anything. I wish I could. Like, I, I hope I kind of did him justice. I know that, like, a bunch of his, like, contemporaries, like, super were into him. I think Tolstoy is found on his deathbed reading Brothers Karamazov. Wow. And and so like, yeah, the dude is just like a just an animal, but and like I think like what we said before, he like I actually think I the re- thing I love about Dostoevsky is that deep confliction. Like sometimes when we look as Christians, we look at the I mean, Chesterton says like the whole purpose of life is becoming a saint. And I agree, but most of us like we don't live up to that reality. And so we can compare mm-hmm. to all of our heroes. But we just do not stack up. And then to get confronted with like a stark character like Dostoevsky with his failed marriages and his gambling addiction and his mm-hmm. sickness. And those who are sick, like those who are, say, have chronic pain or some kind of lingering disease that they struggle with. There's a ton of questions that come in and out of that. And I think yeah. to watch someone also seek to do their best to live a Christian life in the midst mm. of all of that brokenness is one of the most inspiring things to me. And like, yeah. when I look at Dostoevsky's life, I don't shake my fist being like, oh, you had two failed marriages. Mm. Oh, you were a gambler. I say thank you for like the honesty and the mm. beauty that you portrayed the Christian message with despite how broken the world around us is so that like that kind of resonates to me yeah yeah no that's awesome well josh thank you so much for yeah explaining dostoevsky so brilliantly today i feel like i've just learned so much and it's been lovely to get your face on the camera usually totally it's your your drawings and stuff that are getting a little drawing yeah, thank you for all of the amazing work that you've done and just bringing the Eagle and Child podcast to life with your it's my pleasure. brilliant artistry. Very I mean, I love what you're up it. to. I oh, So it, it makes it makes it super easy, right? Oh, thanks, Josh. Thank you so totally. much. Uh, thank yeah, you. Thank you, for, thank you for being with us today. And thank you for everyone who's joined us on the Eagle and Child podcast. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Eagle and Child podcast. That's all from us for today. If you want to support us, you can like, subscribe or drop us a review. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Eagle and Child podcast. We'll catch you next time. Much love.